right now. We're starting in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to back it up to verse 8. I, by now I should tell the guys this, but I don't. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace and goodwill toward Men, peace and goodwill towards men. So we've been looking at this idea, particularly this this last verse right here. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Now, I think it's it's, it's interesting. I've, I've said this before and I'll continue to say it. I believe that this is the first ever documented alien invasion uh, of the planet Earth when creatures from another dimension, also known as angels, appear in a field to shepherds, first one and then Boom, a vast army. The entire army of heaven shows up in the sky singing. How many know that armies are big? And it's not like in Christmas place we see two, three, four angels. However many white robes your church happened to have in storage is how many angels are generally represented in the story. Uh, But this is not one, two, three, four angels. This is hundreds and thousands of angels in a field glowing, singing, Everyone, oh, it just leave me hanging out to dry. Anyways, it doesn't matter. That's Latin, and it's, it's all good. But they were singing, probably not in Latin, probably in Hebrew, Aramaic, to these shepherds in a field, which is translated to us, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. I, I, the, the imagery is not lost on me that the armies of heaven storm the earth and declare that peace is coming, that peace is coming, but what we've been wrestling with over the last number of weeks is where is this peace and when is it arriving? Because for many of us, we're like, listen, this feels like some of the, like the most divisive time in our in our lives. Like we can't even have conversations with people politically. The environment is charged like. It's crazy, and we can't even talk across the table because everyone is just a fight, and our ideologies uh, rule the day. We feel like there's, there's no way that we can even, even uh, talk to one another because all those barriers are up, and we have to defend our idea. I think that probably comes back to a lack of self-confidence and self-worth that we feel that we need to be defined by our, our ideas, but that's an entirely different stream of thought. But we're wrestling with this question, where do we find this peace? Where do we find peace on this earth in the world events? Where do we even find peace? Like, that's fine. Government, fine. Peace, fine. World events, it's fine. Middle East, it's fine. It's far away from us. Some of us are wondering, where do we find peace right here, right now? Where do we find peace in the midst of all the chaos? Where do we find peace in the midst of this season? Where do we find peace in the midst of this family dinner that somebody has to go to in like a week? Where do we find peace? That peace. This is what scripture says about Jesus. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called. Mighty God. Well, sorry, wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting father. Prince of peace. Now, 
these are not all his names. The best way that I could describe this to you is Jesus was like the original like nickname guy. Jesus had all the nicknames. He's also nicknamed Emmanuel, God with us. But he's like a boxer. He has like all, all the names. So when he's coming, it's like Jesus Christ is born on this earth. He's like, in, in the blue corner, representing heaven now here on earth. Jesus Christ, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Jesus, and everyone cheers, the angels sing, and the shepherds are terrified, and there's a cow mooing in the background of a manger, and a donkey, like, doing whatever noises donkeys do, probably kicking something, and it's just like, it's just chaos, out of this chaos is born peace, Jesus Christ, the prince of peace. Now, in preparation of this, I found some of the best boxing nicknames that I could ever find, just so we could drill the point home. My favorite is, there was a boxer named, named Deverell which is his name, Deverell, but his name is Deverell Touch of Sleep Williamson. Like, that's a, that's a nickname. I mean, Wonderful Counselor is nice, but Touch of Sleep, that's really got like a, a ring to it. I also like this one, uh, Alexis Argello, and his nickname was the Explosive Thin Man. And he weighed 400 pounds. No, he didn't. He was, really, he was really a small guy, as you can tell. The explosive thin man. Wonderful counselor is like, wow, that's kind of a weird nickname. Like, I like touch of sleep. Like, that's powerful. Jesus, why are we calling Jesus Prince of Peace? If, if the king is coming, if the king is here, if he's going to make peace, then I'm interested in some powerful nicknames. Like, I like the mighty God part. Like, he throws down. But why do we have Prince of Peace and Wonderful Counselor? Like, I don't need to talk about my feelings. I need someone to take care of business. But the best part about Jesus' nickname, Wonderful Counselor, is that that word in the original language is also transliterated, an advisor. So we have somebody to advise us, to give us counsel, to give us direction. But my favorite is that that word also means conspiracy or conspirator. Jesus is the wonderful conspiracy. The wonderful conspiracy of this season is that Jesus is looking to bring peace to you in every moment, in every season, every day, every situation as you walk. He's looking to walk with you and lead you into peace. In fact, what we've been talking about is how we can establish ourselves with an outlook of peace so that resiliency builds within us so that whatever life throws at us, we can walk in the spirit of peace as Philippians 4 declares it, the peace that surpasses all understanding. And that all happens for us by being rooted and grounded and built upon the foundation that is known as Jesus Christ. The wonderful conspiracy. Jesus is the wonderful conspiracy. If you're a conspiracy theorist, there's only one conspiracy you need to be concerned about, and that is Jesus Christ is working to make all things good in your life, to bring it all together in this season. And if we could recognize him in this season, you're going to win. If you could recognize him in the next season, you're going to win bigger. And if you could continue to recognize him in every, in every moment, in every thought, in every season... You're going to come out living a life of courage and bravery because you've got a resiliency that's built into you and into your character that has been fostered and developed by the peace of God, which protects your heart and your mind. But there's another part of this verse that I've been really interested in in Luke chapter 2. It says, goodwill towards all men. It's like, what is... What does that mean? And I think it's a little bit of a, a clue when we're talking about 
peace, goodwill towards all men. Now, this is actually illustrated in another portion in the Bible in Acts chapter 2. We find an example of this goodwill. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being Saved. Now, this portion of Scripture, these five verses from 42 to 47, is the very beginning of what we now understand to be the church. This is called the early church. That's what we, we call it. And, and in many circles, we glamorize it, and we memorialize it, and we celebrate it. We're like, oh, if we could only go back to the days of the early church. Yeah, the days of the early church where it was a crime to be a Christian. You got eaten by lions uh, if you declared faith in Jesus. That sounds like a time to be alive, if you ask me. But the early church, we look at this, and I mean, you read this, you're like, this is amazing. They're like sharing meals together. They're meeting together. They're going from home to home. They're worshiping together. They're just enjoying the goodwill of all men. People have these possessions, and if you need money, and if Haley needs braces, then Brendan sells his brand new guitar to make sure that Haley's got the braces that she needs. It's like, it's this incredible generosity. Sometimes we read it, and we think it's socialism or communism. Listen, God doesn't care about your political ideology. He cares about harmony and peace and goodwill where the church and it becomes a family and we take care of each other when we're in need. And we live out of a spirit of generosity and we live in this goodwill among people. Now, to give us a little bit of a frame of reference, these, these, most of these people that would have experienced this were Jewish Christians at the time. So they would have already had a frame of reference of what this community looks like and feels like. And they would have based it off of uh, one of these famous scriptures in Psalm 133. Uh, Starting at verse, this is 32, starting at verse 1, Psalm 133. In a moment, I'll read it to you now. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. It talks about this, the the refreshing element of harmony and unity and goodwill to all men. There's a refreshing that comes when we can live out of goodwill and we can live out of In fact, when we live in that manner, it says the blessing of God resides there. Because we live looking for the best in one another, recognizing that each and every one of us, as Ephesians 2.10 describes, each and every one of us is God's unique masterpiece. He's the master artist, and we can each recognize that inside of each and every one of us and our friends and our neighbors and even that family member that you just 
grate your teeth when you sit at the dinner table with them. You can, you, you can realize that these are God's people, God's creation, and that if we could live together and we could see that there's gold inside of them, then God's blessing will be commanded there because we will live in harmony and unity. Now, we think that sounds amazing, and it sounds like everyone's floating in the clouds and clapping and having a great feast and just having a great time. But what we discover in Scripture is that in this idyllic world that we've described as the early church where people lived in generosity and harmony, sharing things, going from house to house every day, having a great time, we find that there's actually a little bit of a struggle. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Oh. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. We can get into their complaint if you want. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So even in this wonderful spirit of unity and harmony and goodwill where believers were, were, were being multiplied by the thousands. So we went from a grouping of, of a, uh, a small group of people that were up in an upper room that spilled out onto the street. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God poured out. And all of a sudden people hear this. They start responding to the goodness of God. And the Bible talks about thousands of people being added day after day after day. They go from a small group of maybe 200 uh, starting at 120, even smaller than that, and growing into this large, large group of thousands of people. Can I tell you, where there are people, there are problems. Where there are people, there are problems. And you're like, no, there's not, there's, this is like, this is supposed to be the Bible. It's supposed to be perfect. It's supposed to be amazing in the midst of the goodwill, in the midst of the generosity, in the midst of meeting together and celebrating together and worshiping together. There was rumblings and there was discontent. Because somebody always feels like they're being shortchanged. So what do we do? What do we do when there's rumblings and discontent? Does it mean that we're all in disharmony or disunity? Does it mean that there's problems? Does it mean it's like, oh, we better get out of here. Where there's smoke, there's fire. You know what I'm talking about? No. What it means is that there's people involved. There's, there's one phrase. My dad, my dad shared this, and I've never forgotten it. I will never forget it. He said, Brett, people are the price. And I follow that quickly with the second thought. People are the problem. So how is it possible that people could be both the prize and the problem? Well, it's simple. <laughs> They're just people. The sooner we realize that there's no such thing as this perfect, utopian world where there's no problems, there's no struggles, there's no strife, the more peace and contentment you will actually find in your life. See, we, we live assuming that we're basically God's gift to all of God's gift. And from there, we, we have our ideas, and our ideas are good. God created us to look at the world in a certain way. I can acknowledge that the way Jaden looks at the world and the way that I look at the world are probably two different things. We've got a lot of similarities, but we've got a lot of differences. But here's the incredible thing. God created Jaden and God created me, and that means we're both created in God's image, which means we cannot pull the God card and say, well, guess what? 
God made me, and my idea, my ideology, the way that I look at the world is better than yours. That does not work. Because all we're doing is pitting God against himself. By saying, well, my version of God is better than your version of God. That's why he left us this one incredible thing called the Bible. So that we could have some standard operating procedures. And even out of this book come a variety of interpretations and understandings. Which sometimes leaves us scratching our heads. How did you get that out of this? And somebody looks at you and they go, no, how did you get that out of this? But at the end of the day, we cannot forget that as outlined in Scripture, that we are the body of Christ. Why don't actually we turn there? Go old school. I'm going to turn in a paper Bible. Don't co- in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think that you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluations of yourselves, measuring yourselves. By the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts. And he begins to break down these gifts, but he summarizes it in verse 9. Romans 12, verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. And this is where it gets real in the midst of the struggle, we think when we think about persecution that somebody made fun of me at the job site because I said I go to church. And the terms that he was writing here, persecution means they take your family, they take your home, and they feed you or light you on fire. Bless those who persecute you. Oh, Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be, ha- <laughs> be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. I'm just going to read the Bible because it's preaching on its own. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead... Instead, if you're ready, say, I'm ready. You're not ready. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. I'm not ready for this. This is, wow. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If anyone's got an enemy here, put up your hand. No, don't. (laughs) If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals 
of shame on their heads. All right, we get something out of it. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Wow. Wow. We're all a part of this incredible tapestry mosaic that is known as the body of Christ. And every body needs a hand and every body needs a foot and needs an eye. But if we were all made up of one part and we all thought the same way and did the same thing, we could not be a body. We would just be a whole bunch of spare parts. And so what we try and do is oftentimes we silo ourselves and we try and find all the hands because nobody understands me like another hand. Nobody understands me like another foot. Nobody sees the world like another set of eyes. And yet, for what reason do those eyes see if there is not a head and hands and feet to walk on the path that this body and these eyes can see the road ahead? For what other reason? Now, sometimes we're in conflict with one another. Sometimes we find pain in the midst of this unity, in the midst of this harmony, in the midst of this peace. So what do we do? Thank goodness there's a Bible to direct us in Hebrews chapter 10. In the midst of our pain, let us think of ways, Hebrews 10, 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Just leave it there, Matt. Do not neglect our meeting together as some people do. What our human nature says is if we've been hurt, if we've been wounded, we don't, we don't have conversation. We just pull back and we hide. We don't seek clarity. We don't seek understanding. We don't seek forgiveness. We don't seek peace. We pull back and we hide and we protect ourselves from whatever else may come. And we withdraw and we withdraw and we withdraw. And our personality begins to change and morph and shift because we just create more and more distance between everybody else who may hurt us. But while we put the distance in place, we're also hurting ourselves because we withdraw from being the person that God created us to be. And so we find more and more distance between who we are and who God intended us to be. We find more distance between us and the giftings that he made us with. We find more distance between our our friends and our family and our relationships because we're so afraid that we're going to get hurt again that we just put up the walls and put up the barriers and we withdraw into ourselves and we stay happy with me, myself, and I. But what we find is that we're even more disgruntled and upset when we are alone than when we were at least with the other person who annoys you. Because at least it was the other person's fault that you were annoyed. When you're annoyed and you're by yourself, that's on you. So let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do because it's not about you coming to meet them. They're actually good for you because they're drawing you out of you. They're drawing the goodness, the gifts of God that he's placed in you. They're drawing it out of you. All that grace that it takes to be in an awkward and uncomfortable social situation, that's God's grace using somebody else to extract the gold inside of you. That's where we begin to learn and grow as people in uncomfortable, awkward moments. And so we don't neglect our gathering 
together because there's not a peace there. What we do as we learned last week is we need to establish peace. We are people of peace. We are peacemakers. If there is discontent and discord, then we do something to fix it. Guess what they did in, in Acts chapter 6? They're like, oh, maybe we do have a discrepancy. They just brought in more people on the team. They put more people on the case. They didn't withdraw. They didn't cancel the feeding program. They're like, oh, there's too many complaints. We're just shutting her down. No, they just came up with the creative solution, which guess what? Included more people. And they made sure that the people were getting fed in Acts chapter 6. They just needed to solve the problem. We don't solve the problem when we withdraw. We create a new one. God has created you for a relationship, and he's created each and every one of us for community. In Genesis uh, 2, it says that let us make man in our own image. This is the Trinity speaking amongst themselves. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a being three in one, which exists three in one in community. They made us after themselves, meaning we were made and created for community. We were made and created for each other. This is the words of Jesus. I, I could keep talking, but I think the words of Jesus are helpful. In John chapter 13. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciple. I'm going to read that one more time. So I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. In case you were wondering, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not your depth of spiritual knowledge. Not your Bible literacy. Not your ability to, to break down the Ten Commandments from memory. Not your ability to heal the sick or raise the dead. But they will know that you are my disciples. That you follow me. That you follow Jesus. Not by the way that you love anyone else. But by the way you love each other. By the way that I love Jaden. By the way that we take care of Ashley. By the way that we take care of Anthony and Janelle. By the way that we respond to each other. And we pick each other up when they fall down. And we walk with each other. We say we got you because we are the family of God and we're walking together. By the way, we don't let you withdraw when you start sinking back into yourself. They will know you by your love for one another. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we living in that reality right now? Am I living that? And the answer is no. The answer is no. Because if we're being really, really honest, we like our thing, we like our stuff, we like our people. Even within this family, which is not that large, like I got my crew, us four and no more, ride or die. You're like, no, this is the family. This is the family. They will know that we follow Jesus by the way we love one another. We love one another. by confronting things that need to be confronted. The Apostle Paul says the words, speak truth in love. Some theologians clarify that if you speak the truth without love, it's just utter brutality. <laughs> I don't know if you notice this, 
But in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, says these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Every time it talks about us, it doesn't talk about me. It doesn't talk about I. It doesn't talk about an individual. It talks about us as the family of God, us as believers. Give us our daily bread. Don't let, Lord, I'm not, when I pray, don't just think about what I need, but think about what my neighbors and my friends and my family needs. Think about those other things. When we pray, our Father who art in heaven, it's not my Father, it's our Father. It's us. It's all of us together. In in the Western world, we live in individualistic uh, world. We live in an individualistic way. That's how we view everything. But the truth is, it's not about me. It's about us. See what God can do through us. See, if you want God to work through you, He often does it in the context of us. 